Good morning, everyone. This morning, as we begin a short time of prayer here, I just would like to say that the things that have gone on in this country lately, in other countries such as the Ukraine, China, all over the world, I have to confess that sometimes I don't feel much like praying for some of these people, and that's wrong. And I want to share from Timothy what Paul has to say here, and I would like to encourage all of you, and I would like you to encourage me to be more faithful in prayer for all men. So, 1 Timothy 2.1, Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that they may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the Spirit of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself in ransom for all to be testified in due time. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as I begin this time, Father, I want to lift up our leaders. Father, many times, I don't think I'm alone that we don't feel like praying for those that are in authority that we don't agree with. But Father, we are called to, to pray for all men. You desire none to perish. And so, Father, may we be obedient, may I be obedient in praying for all men, all leaders, no matter where in this world they are. I thank you for showing me that I need to be more fervent in prayer for others. So, Father, this morning, as I am here with this Congregation, these wonderful people, encourage us to pray for all people. Father, I lift our country up. I lift the leaders of states, towns, cities of the country. Father, I would pray that leaders throughout the world, that their eyes would be opened that their hearts would break because of the immoralness in this world, of the sin that has run rampant. Father, help them to see. Help them to see what you have planned, a perfect world. But sin has invaded. And Father, now that time has gone on, 
it gets worse and worse. But Father, we know. We know the end of the story. But Father, I pray that these men and women would see you, Father, would go back to following you, that this country and this world would just love you again. Father, you love each and every one. You want none to perish. So, Father, let us pray for that continuously. I pray for our leaders here at this church. Lord, I lift them up. I lift the staff, the people that are here every day doing your work, Father. Father, we thank you for them. We, th we are so blessed. And, Father, we just lift them up. We ask you to be with them. We ask you to give them wisdom to help them daily as they serve you, Father, and serve us. Father, I lift up all people that are battling so many different diseases, pains. Father, I know that I just have a special request of prayer for Alan and his family. Give them peace as they <clears throat> deal with this time. I feel for each person that is struggling right now, be it physically, be it financially, be it in emotions and relationships. Father, we are a hurting world. But Father, I have hope, and that's in you. We thank you so much for being present with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. What more could we ask, Father? We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Thank you for being with us here this morning um, to worship together. We're going to be in Lamentations chapter 3, uh, but a few things to make you aware of. Our um, Phoenix mission team did arrive safely uh, last night. If you were at the picnic last week, we prayed over them at the end. Um, but if you don't know what I'm talking about, we've got 10 people, uh, three adults, and um, then uh, seven high school and um, uh, college students that are there ministering with Jordan and Micah Smith. Jordan and Micah, of course, Micah grew up in our church, from formerly Micah Joyce, and uh, they are serving with um, Go10 Ministries, ministering to uh, new arrival internationals living in the Phoenix area. And so our team has gone to serve with them, and so continue to pray for them this week as uh, AJ is leading that trip with Jordan and Micah. We've, they flew out yesterday and arrived last night. Um, and uh, we'll be looking forward to hearing uh, when they come back. We're going to hear from some of those kids and hear uh, what God has done in their lives this week. 
um, wanted to make you aware um, of the stuff in the bulletin. There's a few announcements in here. If you don't have one of these, they're out there in the lobby. There's some on the counter here. But there's about four or five upcoming events listed in here each week and a place to take notes as well. So please remember to pick that up. Make note of those things. My kids participated in the uh, terrific Tuesday and the preschool story time this week. It was a lot of fun. Those things for kids and uh, families happen each week. So please make note of that and um, plan around that if you can. And VBS is coming up soon. Um, if you haven't signed up your kids, please sign up your kids. If you know of any Buddy, to invite. We'd love to, um, to use VBS to, to reach out to more families in our community. So anybody in your neighborhood, any of your kids' friends, any grandchildren, um, please uh, talk to Rika or uh, look at the church website and see how to register uh, for VBS. We'd love to have more kids to be a part of that. Um, finally, I'll tell you, um, if you have looked forward to each week for the last couple weeks, peeking in through the windows of the sanctuary to see what's happening in there. You might have been disappointed when there were shades um, down this morning, so you couldn't see in there. Um, but that's just another good step of progress as things continue to uh, get done in there. Uh, we've told you before that our, our progress, our plan, is we're looking at July finishing this project. That still looks doable, probably mid to late July. Uh, we are right now planning to have our first Sunday back in there to be August the 7th, the first Sunday in August. So please pray along those ends. Um, we had a, um, a, a speed bump along the way this week where we had something that we weren't planning on having to fix and address that, that came up and we had to um, spend some more money to, to fix something to, to do it the right way. Um, so please continue to pray for just the whole process as things like that come up with any construction project. Um, there's challenges, there's, um, there's obstacles. Right now, some of the things that we're waiting for are just shipping delays, that we're waiting for certain things to, to come in in the right order to be installed and put back into the room. So please be in prayer for the whole process. Thank you for your uh, flexibility and patience in, in uh, working with us throughout all of this, gathering in a different setting, and we've done two services, and we've had people out in the gym for overflow. Um, so just thank you for your flexibility, uh, but we're looking at um, starting out August with being back in the room, and it will be a huge, huge blessing. Um, because many of you have asked about, well, how can, how can we help? How can we help make this uh, go faster? How can we help contribute to it? Because um, this is not just um, the, the leadership's church. This is our church. This is everybody's uh, church. And um, while most of the funding for this project has been covered through insurance, there have been uh, some things that the church has paid for. And so one way that you can contribute is just continue to give to the general fund because um, that is how uh, we're, we're using... Um, we need to fund the ministries of the church first. The physical property of the church comes after the ministry of the church. We need to make sure that all of those ministries are funded and, and things happen as normal according to what the, the plans that God has set before us. Um, but a big thing that you guys can do to help is um, in July, we're going to have a couple of uh, work days, basically, where we've got a bunch of stuff that's been moved out gradually that's going to get moved back in. We've got a bunch of chairs um, in storage in this building behind me that we've got to get back into the room and get set up. We've got some equipment in the quad pod that's got to go back over here. So uh, please, uh, we'll, be, we'll be announcing those dates and times. And um, so if you want to help, there's an opportunity to help. It, it will come as we start to, to move some things back in. But um, the biggest thing right now is continue to pray for this project and continue to pray 
that we as a church will grow in this season. And, and in one sense, it's been actually really exciting to look back and, and to see the new families that have come in in this kind of youth room season that we've been a part of. There, there are several families in our church that haven't ever actually attended a service in that room now because they've, they've come in while we've been out here. And uh, that's a good thing. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. But I'm not just talking about growing numerically. I'm talking about the, the change of venue for us has created new opportunities to, to connect in relationships, sit in closer proximity in worship, to meet different people because you're going to a different service or you're sitting in a different seat. And we all sort of get into our normals when we, when we come to worship and uh, one of the challenges that I'd like to make to you is that when we get back into the big room, let's not just go back to normal where we're spreading out from somebody and taking up a, a, a whole role for our families. Like, sit next to people. Uh, find new people to, to introduce yourself to. And let's continue to connect in relationship the way this has sort of forced us to worship in a closer proximity. Um, but we're really looking forward to get back in the room. Um, I hope you guys love it. Um, I think the room is going to be better when we get back in, and I'm just excited to see what God is going to continue to do in our church. Um, there's a lot of excitement in the church right now, and I know we've, we've said that, there, that we've, we've expressed to you some concern about our finances and our giving, but, but, uh, and that's still there, and we want to be mindful and responsible about that. Um, but just as I was thinking and talking to people this week, coming out of the picnic, we look back and we see that our attendance has, has grown, and, and we have new families coming in. We have more people that want to go through the new members process, more people that have completed the new members process. We have uh, people growing in Christ. We have people coming to Christ. One of the first things we're going to do when we get into that building in August is I've got a whole, uh, I've got a whole list of baptisms to do once we get back into the building. And people that have just seen God working in their life over these months and, and will be baptized publicly in our Sunday morning services um, in August. There's lots of exciting things to do. But let's not make the excitement about a, a new building or a, a renovated room or, or anything like that. I'd really encourage you to continue to do what, is, what God has called us to do as a church. We don't want to grow as a church because we have shiny new things. We don't want to grow as a church because we have exciting new programs. We want to grow as a church because the people of the church are ministering to the community. And the people of the church are loving their neighbors and sharing the love of Christ. And so that's really what I want us all to be focused on um, in this season. That as we see new people come in, that, that's great. That's beautiful. But let's ask God uh, ourselves what God can call us to. How we can be a part of reaching the loss with the gospel of Christ. And so it's exciting to get new stuff. I think you'll be excited when you get back into the room, um, but let's be excited about what God is doing and not about um, shiny new things. So turn with me to Lamentations chapter 3. This one's going to be fun. Um, and I say that just to try to convince you because Lamentations isn't super fun to read through by yourself. But if I say it's going to be fun, then you're going to be ready to, to do something exciting in Lamentations 3 today. Uh, we're picking up at verse 25. And I've told you, Lamentations is sort of, um, it, it's, all, it's a list of six different worship songs or lament songs. Because lament is worship. Lament is worship in which you express your regrets, your concerns, your, your complaints to God, expecting God to hear and expecting God to move in response to what you are voicing to Him. 
And so lament is such an important discipline for us as believers. It's how we move from pain to hope. Because we recognize we all live through pain. To live a human life is to suffer, is to experience pain to one degree or another. And so everybody in this room is either in the midst of a trial or suffering right now, or preparing for it. Or maybe God does not have you in a place of trial and suffering, but could be using you, could be equipping you through Lamentations 3 to serve another, to love and encourage another. And so let that be our goal, to hear from God and what He is doing in us in suffering or in ministering to others in suffering. And in 325 and following, what I want us to focus on this morning is what suffering can accomplish in us. Because I think we, we think that in times of suffering, what is most important is to just grin and bear it. And then when we really grow in Christ is the happy times. But that's not how our relationship with Christ works. The darkness is not an obstacle to growth in Christ and growth in faith. Often the darkness is what God uses to grow our faith more, to grow us in endurance and dependence on Him. And so what I want us to see is how this darkness that Jeremiah and the nation of Judah are experiencing in Lamentations 3 prepares them for growth in Christ. So in my household, one of the things that Jess has done so well is to emphasize with our kids uh, not just what we as parents expect of them, but because they're, they're in the church, because they, they are hearing the gospel clearly in the kids' ministries of this church and in the overall ministries of the church, because they are learning Bible verses and learning Bible stories and, and hearing about God, we are continually calling them to what a life that honors God looks like. And we are continually asking them, particularly in moments of misbehavior, what is, what is God looking for out of your life? It's not necessarily perfect obedience, but what Jess has chosen to emphasize and what has been such a joy to watch my kids develop is we've put the emphasis on the fruits of the Spirit, on what does a Christian life really reflect in terms of attitude and behavior in response to challenges that we face. And so what, what happens, inevitably happens, we'll have, we, have, we have three children, Eden, Jericho, and Karis, and two of the three will be fighting about something. And they now know, through experience, that when they're fighting about something, one of the questions that mom is probably going to ask is when you're throwing a temper tantrum or when you're yelling at your sibling or when you're throwing things, whatever, is are you reflecting the fruits of the Spirit? How are you reflecting the fruits of the Spirit? And there's something about our little six-year-old that she's, no, I'm not living the fruits of the Spirit. <laughs> it's so precious and it's so cute, but then she's clever. You know, she's learning. And I have this genetic disease of impatience that runs in my family. And, and so there is this sense in which it is good and right to, to train up a child in the way that you should go and to, to train your children. Guys, you've heard the gospel. You've received the gospel. You know the gospel. So let's reflect it. And a life lived in the gospel means the Spirit of God should be working to grow up these fruits in you. But then when they turn it on you and when they look at Dad and say, Dad, boy, that, that was not a very patient thing to say. Because it's one thing when I can look at I can look at Karis and say, Karis, you're being very impatient with Jericho. Well, 
one guess on who's the most impatient in the house when Jericho. That's me every single time. And so the girls are, have become really astute at putting that back on me to say, well, Dad, are you living the fruits of the Spirit? <laughs> and the truth is, this is, this is the balance we have to walk with our kids. We know in parenting that we are not going to, going to expect our kids to live in perfection. So the reason we choose to emphasize the fruits of the Spirit is we want them to, to grow in character. We want them to know the model. We want them to know what a life that honors Christ is, is looking like. And so we know when we look at the fruits of the Spirit, we are not going to reflect all of them at all times. My six-year-old's not, and I am not. But we all have to recognize those situations in our lives when God might be pressing in on something to grow us in a particular area to challenge us in something. And what happens when we open up Lamentations 3 is we see how God is building up the character of Jeremiah and the nation through this suffering that they are experiencing. And Jeremiah actually looks at the nation and says, guys, this is, this is a good thing. Let's not waste this suffering, but let's learn the lessons of patience, of self-control, of faithfulness, and of love for God that we need to learn in the midst of this suffering. So as we look through Lamentations 3, here's how we're going to unpack it. We're going to unpack it with the challenge of suffering, the challenge that we all have to face in times of suffering and trial. And then we're going to look at the truth to remember in those times of challenge and suffering. And then we'll look at this section that Jeremiah gives us on God's sovereignty in the midst of our suffering. And finally, we'll end with the confidence that we retain in suffering. So look at verse 25 with me. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. Yet there, there yet may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. Now I know most of y'all are smarter than me, and you've already figured out exactly what Jeremiah is talking about in this passage. But for people like me that hear these verses read and hear these six verses read and can't quite follow what Jeremiah is getting at in context, let, let's look at this slowly. Okay? What Jeremiah is saying here is number one, verse 25, it is good to wait because the Lord is good to those who wait. It's same as what he would say in Isaiah 42. Uh, um, those who wait upon the Lord renew their strength. Waiting is good. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. It is what God wants to grow in us. He wants us to learn to wait and show patience. Okay, So to the soul who seeks him, who waits for him, the Lord is good. Okay, That's point one here. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So in our waiting, we wait quietly without murmuring and complaining. And, and, and we've said that lament is a place where we can complain to God. And in fact, that is inherent within what lament is. You turn to God in prayer. You complain about what is distressing you about your situation. You ask God to change it. And then you turn back to God in complete trust in his sovereign care. 
And so there is a, a sense in which in lament you state a complaint to God. But there's a difference between complaining in a murmuring, disrespectful sense and just issuing to God a statement of your distress in your situation. And we have to be careful about that and find the balance when we approach lament. That we express to God our concerns, we express to God our dismay, much as Jerry did in his prayer this morning to say, this world is hard to live in sometimes. And sometimes what God calls us to is hard. And sometimes God calls us to pray for people that I don't like. And, but I'm going to do it anyway because that's what God has called me to. But I'm, I'm going to do it in, in making full confession to God of this is hard for me. This, this earth is hard to live in. It is hard to live a life of righteousness in this earth. So God wants us to wait, but he wants us to wait patiently. Verse 27. It is also good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Okay, what's the yoke? And why is he, why is he picking on young people all of a sudden? You know, it's a general audience at first, and now he's picking on young people all of a sudden in verse 27. Uh, let him, he, talking about the young person, let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. That being the yoke is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insight, with insults. Here's what I want us to see out of this passage here. Uh, Jeremiah is telling the nation of Judah and us that uh, suffering can produce something in us. God will often use suffering to produce a, a greater character driven by the Spirit's work in our life so that we can, in our waiting, develop patience and endurance. It's the same thing James 1 talks about when James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why would you have joy in the midst of trial? Because the testing of your faith, faith through that trial can produce steadfastness. And then steadfastness can grow and have its full effect that you can be complete and perfect, lacking in nothing. So, uh, so step one in James 1 is you encounter a trial. You suffer. But then that trial and suffering produces for you endurance so that you can bear it. And then that endurance produces for you maturity so that you can stand and you can represent Christ better. So that's what God does in us through our suffering and through our trial. But Jeremiah makes a special note to the younger crowd, to the youth, he says. Verse 27, it's especially good for the sufferer to be young. And the yoke that he's talking about, to bear the yoke, that's, that's the, the burden that, a, that an animal, a beast of burden, would carry. The yoke he's talking about is suffering. And what Jeremiah is, is saying here is, learn how to carry the yoke of suffering while you're young. Start learning patience. Start learning endurance, self-control, and, and the faithfulness that comes through the lessons learned in suffering. If you learn those lessons when you're young, they will benefit you greatly in your later years. He's not saying that old people don't have to suffer. He's saying that if you want to know how to suffer when you're old, then get ready to suffer when you're young. And it's a better situation if you go ahead and learn how to be faithful to God and live in the self-control and the patience of enduring in the midst of suffering. But he says, in three different ways, he says in verse 26, to suffer quietly, in verse 28, to suffer in silence, in verse 29, to put your mouth in the dust. And what he is saying here, 
The, the point of all he is saying is to watch your words, to listen in silence, to endure with patience without saying too much because there may yet be hope. And, and this was something that confused me at first. How is putting my mouth in the dirt connected to hope in verse 29? What is Jeremiah telling me? Put your mouth in the dirt and then there may be hope. And I think what he's saying through the three different ways of saying you need to be silent in your waiting and your patience is that sometimes you talk too much to actually see the hope around. Sometimes in our suffering and in our trial, we are complaining so much and we're so focused on what is right in front of us and the crisis right in front of us that the thing we need most to do is to just shut our mouths and listen for a little bit. That maybe God is sending somebody else to bring good counsel, or maybe God is sending, is sending the truth to us through his word. And we're talking too much, we're complaining too much, we're murmuring too much, and we cannot even hear God speak because we're not opening up his words to listen to him speak. And so, yeah, there, there may yet be hope, but maybe you're complaining about your own situation too much to see the hope that remains the Old Testament has two primary books about suffering. One is Lamentations that teaches us the way to grieve as Christians in suffering, the way to state our complaints in the form of lament as prayers to God. That's what Lamentations is all about. The other primary book about suffering in the Old Testament is the book of Job. And Job has a lot of lessons for us. But one of the lessons for Job is that sometimes people just talk too much. And if you read through the book of Job, and you read it, you see Job's friends who really mean well, who really want to love him and help him. And for a few days after Job experiences this incredible crisis, the friends do well because they sit with him in silence and they keep their mouths shut. And you know where the book of Job goes wrong? When his friends open their mouths. Because from that point on, there's almost nothing that Job's friends say that is correct because they're consistently accusing him, blaming him for his own crisis. They do not see the situation clearly, and yet they are so confident that they do see the situation clearly. And isn't that just the human condition? That some of us, we think we know a lot about what's going on. We think we know a lot about why a certain thing has happened. We think we have all the answers. We think we have an explanation, and sometimes even we think we know better than God about what God should or shouldn't do. Sometimes our anger at God comes from a place of, of pride in our own hearts where we feel like we know a situation better than God does and we're so displeased with what he has done. And we're just like Job's friends in that. And one of the things these two Old Testament books teach us about suffering is that it is right to voice your suffering the right way to God and not to bicker and argue with other people about what is right and wrong for God to do when God is just and unjust in a given situation, but to state your complaints before God and shut up and listen. That's the message of Lamentations in Job. State your complaints, express your concern, and then listen. For, for Job, God had to show up in a thundering voice through the clouds because the guys would not stop talking. Between Job and his friends, they were talking, 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 and they were not correct. They did not know what God was doing in the situation, so God had to show up. And it, only when God showed up did they shut up. And now we see in Lamentations 3, God telling us and Jeremiah telling us 
that in your suffering, don't jump to too many conclusions. Don't think you figured it all out. Don't think that you know better than God. But wait in silence. And sometimes in the silence, you see the hope that much more clearly. You see it more clearly than you can see it when you're just living in complaint. But then, so that's the challenge of suffering, okay? The challenge of suffering is how do we wait? Because we know the truth. We know that God has redeemed us from our sins, right? We know that God is bringing us into his eternal kingdom. But when we know that, we still have to endure through this challenge of waiting in patience. Verse 31, we look at the truth to remember in suffering. The Lord will not cast off forever. But though he caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of man. To crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve. So we're going to take this section on the truth in, in two pieces, 31 through 33 and then 34 through 36. Okay, 31 through 33. What is he saying about God here? He is reminding us of who God is in his nature and in his heart. In God's nature, we must remember that the Lord will not cast off forever. The Lord does not pour out judgment on the people whom he loves forever. But in verse 32, we see this really difficult truth about God. We have to, we have to balance it. This is the beautiful thing about Lamentations is that we see the love of God on full display. We also see the justice of God on full display. And, and there's lots of Christians, and certainly people outside the church, that see these things as being inconsistent with each other. And how can you believe in a God that is just and punishes people, and yet you say this is a God of love? And Lamentations 3 gives us a framework and a language to be able to understand that better. And this very passage is so essential to it. 31 through 36, because in 31 through 33, you see God's love on display very clearly. And 34 through 36 is all about God's justice. And what you see in these six verses is that in order for God's love to be on display for all that God is in his essence as a loving, steadfastly loving God, in order for God's love to be fully displayed, his justice must also be satisfied. That God is both loving and and just, and, and you cannot take one at the expense of the other. So in verse 32, the hard truth is that God does cause grief. And some of us are really uncomfortable with that. Why would a loving God cause grief? Listen carefully at what Jeremiah says. He, though he caused grief, what, when it says, lesson in the English language, what, what Jeremiah is saying is in verse 32, but though he caused grief. He's saying he does cause grief. God does cause grief. And who does he cause grief to? Sinners that are unrepentant, that deserve the condemnation for their own sin. That's who's receiving grief from God. God is causing pain. God is causing hardship. God is afflicting his people. And that's this challenge that we have to figure out. But why is this happening? Though he caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. And in verse 33, he does not afflict from his heart. Um, in my Bible study, on, I have a Wednesday morning, uh, men's Bible study 
commercial break. Anyone's welcome to join us Wednesday morning. Just let me know. Um, we're reading through the New Testament this year. Um, <clears throat> sorry, it, I should specify it is a men's Bible study. So almost, almost anyone is, half of you are welcome to join us. Um, we're reading through the New Testament this year. And in our conversation on the Gospel of John, uh, we took some time this week to talk about the differences between Father, Son, and Spirit, how we understand the Trinity, how, that, how they work together and are distinct and the same and, and essence and roles and all, all of those things, how much we separate the Trinity and when it's not helpful to separate the operations of the Trinity. Uh, what I want to talk about here is uh, we desperately need to know who God is in order to worship Him. We sang that God is good. We sang two different songs about the goodness of God. So do we believe that? Do we know that? Is that a true thing that we can be confident of? The way the Bible explains God's character and essence is essential for us to understand in order to relate to Him. And so when the Bible says that God afflicts those that are sinners, we need to know, is that who God is at His core? Who is God most truly? And I think it's so interesting that Jeremiah uses this language. He does not afflict from his heart. So the question is, what is the heart of God? The heart of God is not to cause affliction, is, is not to pour out punishment, but the heart of God is steadfast love in verse 32. So that is the heart of God, the Father. But then, since we're talking about the Trinity, what do we know about the heart of Jesus I've said it before, when I preach through um, Luke and the life of Jesus, I think it is so necessary in order to understand who Jesus is to look not just in the Gospel of Luke or the Gospel of John, but to look to one particular passage in Matthew where Jesus talks about himself. And he talks about yokes and burden. And he says, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. What else does he say? He says, I am gentle and I am lowly in heart. And in both Old and New Testament, when you have a description of God does not afflict from his heart, or Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart, when, it, when you see the character of somebody's heart described, that is the very essence and nature of who that person is in a central, uh, in a central definition of their nature and character. To, for Jesus to say, my heart is gentle and lowly, that means foundationally the person of Jesus is humble and gentle. And when we see Jeremiah say the foundational characteristic of God's heart is not affliction, is not to cause grief, is, but is rather steadfast love, we see Father, Son together as somebody that we can relate to because they love us. And they are gentle with sinners. And they are, are, are not exacting of punishment for punishment's sake. But rather, they long, the abundance of God is in His steadfast love. But His justice must rectify an injustice. In order for the abundance of steadfast love to be on display, God's justice must be satisfied. That's what verse 34 and following tell us. To crush underfoot all the prisoners of earth to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve. The Lord is bothered by injustice, and he rectifies injustices. 
This justice belongs to him. God is just. He longs for his people to show justice. He longs for his people to fight for justice. He longs for his people to, to be fair and right and just and to treat others well, treat others justly. But in the foremost sense of God's justice, what he means is that he will be the one to punish sinners. He will be the one to make all things right. He will be the one that will one day balance all scales to where perfect justice has been enacted for all eternity in the universe, every square inch of which he has created, will in the end be seen by all observers as God's action have been, have been perfectly just in every way. He must satisfy his justice. And when he satisfies his justice, the abundance comes in steadfast love, mercies that are new every morning the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases. So this would be a really helpful time to stop and remind ourselves that every single one of us are sinners and and in the face of a just God, sitting before the throne of a just God, should rightfully, justly be declared guilty unless there is a sacrifice that is made on our behalf, a payment that is made to free us from those consequences of the sins that we have willfully and consistently committed. We have stored up wrath for ourselves if God's justice is not satisfied on our account. And if we remember that, we remember how grateful we must be for Christ, that Christ has satisfied that account for us, that Christ's blood was poured out so that our sins could be washed away, we could be made clean, and that God would look on us and not see our misdeeds, but see Christ's righteousness. And so in lament, in lament we recognize we need to know the truth. We need to know the truth about who God is, about the way the world works, about God and his justice, about God and his love, and about the only way through which we can stand in the presence of God through the heart of the gospel and Christ's finished work. So lament reminds us that this great pain of suffering is is nothing compared to the pain of suffering in payment for our own sins. So we lament the temporal suffering we experience in praise and in hope of the eternal joy that is coming to us because we are saved by Christ. Lament causes us to speak the words that we know that are true of the gospel. We remind ourselves of this truth, that God is good, that God is loving, that God is just, that God is always in control, that God is listening to the prayers and the laments that we bring, that God is working to make all things new, that God has already achieved the victory over our enemy, over Satan, over death, over the grave, and that God is bringing us to completion before him, and that God is ushering us into his eternal kingdom. We remind ourselves of those truths, in the darkness, so that we can actually grow in the darkness. Because when justice is satisfied, love is poured out on those who believe. We keep going into into this exploration of God's sovereignty. Where is God's sovereign hand in the midst of the suffering? In verse 37, who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? So, so this is God's sovereignty on display. This is Jeremiah telling the nation, hey guys, 
just so you know, God knows what's going on here. God is not surprised at the suffering of the nation of Judah. God is fully aware, and God is actually acting against his people. And God, in his sovereign hand, controls. And so let's take this into our context now. Let's not say that God acts to, to punish his people, but God is in sovereign control over every good thing and bad thing that happens in our lives. And, and God does not lose grip of the steering wheel of the universe. God does not fall asleep and not know what's going on in the universe. God is always in sovereign control. And this is why it's good news that we can lament. Because we are lamenting, when we lament about the crisis of the world, when we lament about the suffering that we are enduring, we are not telling God something he doesn't know. We are not alerting God to a crisis situation that he doesn't know existed. We are not telling God, God, I know you missed this, I know you don't know what's going on, but God, would you please wake up, would you please turn on the channel of my life so you can see the update for what's going on in my life? God knows God understands, and he sees much deeper than we do. And so this, is, this question of God's sovereignty must be embraced if we do not believe that God maintains sovereign control over both the good and the bad, then we have no hope of going to him. If he is not in sovereign control, then he cannot help us. But we believe he's in sovereign control. We believe he can change situations. We believe he can change our circumstances. And we can believe that he works good out of the bad and he does it every day. And lament puts language to that. God, I'm suffering. This hurts. Restore me, O God Almighty. Let's keep going. Verse 40. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. What do you do when you're a nation and you're a nation called by God, and you recognize you've turned away from God. Verse 40, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. You have wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You have wrapped yourself with a cloud that no prayer can pass through. You have made us scum and garbage among the peoples. All our enemies open their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have come upon us, devastation and destruction. My eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. I have been hunted like a bird by those who were my enemies without cause. They flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed over my head. I said, I am lost. This is that, that crisis. This is the moment of despair. I told you that a lament can be organized around four points. First, you turn to God in prayer. Second, you state your complaint. You make clear the crisis that you are enduring, and you say, God, this is hard. And third, you ask him to do something. Re restore me, free me, heal me, help me. And fourth, finally, you have a statement of conviction, of trust that God is who he says he is, and God can restore and receive. This is the statement of complaint. This is where it gets really dark and messy. And you see what, where Jeremiah is talking about how bad their crisis is, but he's also addressing the nation in this passage. In verse 40, let us test and examine our ways. Let us return to the Lord. 
Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. Gospel quiz for you today. Why has God not forgiven his people? Because they have not turned. Because they have not lifted their hearts and their hands. Because where there is no repentance of sin, there is no forgiveness of sins. This is what what Jeremiah is pleading with the people to see and to understand. In order to receive forgiveness for our sins that we have willfully committed, we must turn our hearts and lift our hands to God, turn to Him in prayer and in confession, repent of how we have turned against Him, and then we can be received. Then we can be restored. Then we can be forgiven. So, let's talk about the gospel again. For those of us that have heard this gospel call that says that you are a sinner, God is righteous and just, and God must punish sinners, then your only option to being made righteous and being justified is to receive Christ as payment for your sin. The way to receive Christ, brothers and sisters, is through repentance. Oh, Father, I'm a sinner. I've rebelled against you. I need Jesus' sin to be credited, or Jesus' blood to be credited to my account for my sin. I need Jesus' sacrifice to wash my sin away and make me clean. I need Jesus' righteousness to be credited to my account so that I can stand justified. You repent and you believe and you are forgiven and restored. So this is what Jeremiah is calling the people to do here and what the people are not doing. So all Jeremiah can be left with is rivers of tears in verse 48. Eyes that flow with tears unceasing. Maybe in moments of your pain, you have been there. You've experienced rivers of tears and unceasing tears. Well, there's some good news for us in verse 55 because it does get better. So this is where we find our confidence in suffering. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you, and you said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me, O Lord. Judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance and all their plots against me. You have heard their taunts, O Lord, all their plots against me. The lips and thoughts of my assailants are against me all day long. Behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I am the object of their taunts. You will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You will give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. Some commentators believe that Jeremiah is actually writing this lament from a literal pit because of verse 55. And whether that is a literal pit or that is just what Jeremiah is emotionally experiencing in the depths of his sorrow and suffering, the truth is, for us, uh, the first application for me when I look at this is I remember the fact that each one of us were in a literal pit of our own sin. A a hole that we dug ourselves. And what you need most when you are in a pit is not, what you need from God in the pit is not for God to tell you how to climb your way out. 
is not for God to tell you how to reform your own behavior so that you can do it better the next time. You don't need God to give you some list of solutions for how you can find your, dig your way out of the pit. What you need is for God to, pull, to lower his hand and to pull you out of the pit. And that is the miracle of what God accomplishes on our behalf, is that by his Spirit, because of the sacrifice of Christ, he reaches down into the pit. He hears the pleas of his people in, in the pit. And when you call on his name, he reaches down and he pulls you out. Because, in verse 58, the Lord takes up the cause of his people. Because, in verse 58, the Lord redeems his people. And so if we think that seasons of darkness keep the growth from coming to the Christian. This is where we look and we see Jeremiah grew in that pit. Jeremiah matured in that pit. Jeremiah met God in that pit. And whatever suffering you're going through, you can meet God in the moment of that suffering, in that darkness, in that pit. And this is the reminder that you can give to others too. No matter what suffering they're enduring, if you're not the one suffering right now, then maybe God is calling you to help somebody else that is suffering, that is stuck in that pit right now. And there's two things you need to say to them. Number one, if that pit is of their own making because of their own sin, then repent as the nation needed to repent, and God will pull you out of that pit, and God will give you a new heart and a new life. But for the believers that are stuck in the pit of suffering because the world is dark and a crisis has come, because of a, a disease, because of a, a relational um, uh, separation, because a, a father has turned away from, from a child or a child has turned away from a mother or spouses are in, irreconcilable, whatever has happened to cause you this despair and put you in this pit of suffering, recognize God speaks into pits. That's what he does. He speaks miraculously, and he pulls people out of pits. And those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And this is our only confidence. This is our only confidence in life and in death, is that we have a God that reaches down into pits and makes people new. And you know, the world will tell you to project confidence. The world will tell you that the right way to be successful is to just you know, project some level of, of confidence that you know what you're doing. You all, every office has one of those people, one of those people that always knows what they're doing even when they don't know what they're doing. But they always act like they do, and they, they puff out their chest, and they, they project this confidence to say, I've figured this out. And whether you're that guy that's projecting the fake confidence or you're the guy that's desperately uh, researching to find all the right answers so that you can then display confidence, whatever it is, you cannot have ultimate confidence in anything inside of you. Nothing that you can do, achieve, uh, pr project, research, learn, nothing like that can give you confidence to endure what the world throws at you. A world of suffering, a world of sin, a world of temptation, and a world of strife. The only place we can find confidence is in the eternal hope we have in Christ. That the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my inheritance, says my, Lord, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So we'll close it this way. In times of suffering, we wait in hope. We wait in hopes of what God has promised for us 
in full expectation in what he has already accomplished for us. In times of suffering, we remember his heart, that his heart is steadfast love and his heart is forgiveness for those who repent. In times of suffering, we trust his hand. His sovereign hand is in control of all circumstances, good and bad, and he is listening and ready to restore. And in times of suffering, we call on our helper. You call on the name of the Lord, and he hears you from the midst of the pit. So yeah, in times of suffering, we wait in hope, we remember his heart, we trust his hand, and we call on our one true helper. So I'd invite you... Stand with us and sing as we sing the great truths of what Christ has accomplished for us. It is well It is well
Father, we know full well that there are many in our midst that are suffering. And there are many that are fighting to hang on to the hope that you have given to us. But Father, may these truths of the gospel never be far from our minds. Because there will be days, there will be moments when each of us will need the restoration and the encouragement that comes from this great confession that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Your mercies never come to an end, but they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So, Father, may we embrace you as our only inheritance that really matters, as our portion in this life and in the next. Father, may we all celebrate not just the death of Christ as payment for our sin, but the resurrection of Christ as an establishment of new life for us and life eternal. So, Father, send us out under your blessing, under your peace, and in your hope of life that is eternal. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Receive the blessing from the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.